Peace and grace, and welcome back to One on One with the Canon podcast show, brought to you by WCANmedia.com, where tomorrow's services are here today. And here we are again on part two of a very intense conversation. Good day, Wayne. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Those of you who listened to part one were introduced to Ken Cuglin of Digital Forensics. Ken, welcome back to part two of the program. Thank you for having me back. You're welcome. In part one, we had talked about what sextortion is. We had talked about prosecution of cases. We had talked about a little bit about what Digital Forensics does to help individuals and families. What I want to focus on in part two is, is can you take the listener through what comprises an actual sextortion investigation from the call to hopefully a successful conclusion. Absolutely. Uh, every case, uh, just like any crime, is different. But uh, for a, a very general sextortion, uh, we usually get a call from our client saying, hey, here's what's going on. We met on Facebook. I'm talking on Facebook. They have my Instagram information. They also have my Snapchat information and my phone number. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out where the last communication was, and we'll take over on that line of communication if we can. Uh, usually, social media is very easy. Phone numbers can be a little bit more difficult. We do have to then convince the suspect to talk to us on a different number. Well, you say suspect, though. What what happened? Why did they call you in the first place? Well, they're being sextorted. They're being blackmailed, uh, and uh, they have nowhere to turn. They don't know where to get help, and we're, we're you know really the only place out there that they can uh, get help from. So, you know, they're being targeted uh, and, and threatened uh, with the release of this information, this material, these photos, uh, sensitive photos and videos or conversation. It is a, a time of, of the essence sort of situation. Uh, so they'll, they'll contact us and we'll get involved as quickly as we possibly can. And like I said, take over the communication and for lack of a better word, pretend to be them uh, so we can gain some trust from the suspect, the, the, the assailant, the person doing this. Uh, and get as much evidence and information about who they are, where they are, as we can, uh, so that we can build our case against them. Now, Ken, in part one, we talked about what sextortion actually is. But the interesting thing that you just brought up, you said when your client contacts you. In part one, we also told that there was an alarming growing rate of adolescents yes. that were involved in this. Do you ever get the call directly from the adolescent? We do. Uh, and it's becoming very, very common and uh, our response is, listen, we know you're scared. We know this is a tough situation for you, but you need to talk to your parents. You need to tell your parents what's going on and have them call us so that we can properly mitigate this for you because we can't talk to a 16-year-old about this sort of thing over the phone. Uh, we need to talk to their parents. And and that's that's the hardest part is getting them, is convincing them to talk to their parents. But we do get those calls from kids all the time. Okay. And if I forget, remind me later on, although it's my job <laughs> to go through the itinerary today, we'll, we'll come back to that point about parental involvement in this issue. You also talked about assuming the identity of your clients. Yes. And I'll also call them the victim yes. in this case. Correct. So what steps do you go through to learn about that? Is it just trying to get a feel of who they are through the chats, the instant messages and that, or do you actually take time to speak with the victim, the client, to uh, see how they would react and be able to take that communication over to communicate with the extortionist, in this case, to assume that identity? Great question. Uh, so we do have an initial phone call with them. Uh, the, the lead investigator will anyways, and sometimes that phone call can be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour long, just getting their side of what happened, how they got to where they are. 
Uh, and in that, we're able to pick up on, you know, the way they talk, uh, how, how, how stressful they've been. We, we also get the communication thus far. So we're able to see how they've been communicating with the suspect or the, uh, the criminal. Beyond that, uh, we also send them a questionnaire, uh, which gets a lot of other basic information, like if they're married, if they have kids, what their job is, you know, if they've paid them, how they paid them, things like that. So we have all the information we need going into the first message to the uh, criminal. Okay. And of course, social media is pretty dynamic. Messaging, audio, video, et cetera. If you have somebody that was involved in a Snapchat communication, how do you guys handle that if the extortion was done through a video social medium? It's a great question. Uh, Snapchat usually does begin uh, with the videos and pictures. That's how the, the, the crime happens. Uh, but once the blackmail sextortion begins, uh, the, the extortion part of it, uh, it usually just sticks to text only. The hardest part with apps like Snapchat is you can't screenshot things without alerting them to it. So we have some software that we're able to run Snapchat through that does screen record everything without them knowing about it so we can document everything. A little secret uh, scroll little software. little secret scroll software, yeah. And that's just so that the, they don't they're, – they're not led on to the fact that they're being, you know, recorded and, and watched and monitored. You know, sometimes it can only take one screenshot for them to know, okay, why are you screenshotting that? Now I'm mad. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I just I'm releasing everything. Or now you owe me five thousand more dollars. So we we try to do everything as discreetly as possible. Give them as much vague information as possible, and 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 be as vague with them as we can, as long as they believe that we are still are the the victim in the situation. Now, in part one of the podcast, we talked about groups, organized criminal yes. organizations that could be involved in this. When you talk about Snapchat, an original communication going between two people and that they've shared videos and pictures, is there a point in time, do we actually have like groomers that will go out and find people to do this? And then when the actual sextortion aspect of this happens, that they turn that over then to, it's almost like going in and buying a car. You know, I have to yeah. go back and talk to my sales manager for this. So therefore, do they turn that over to somebody else in the organization? You know, I'll tell you, we have seen... A lot of that. We've seen different levels, different almost, you know, a lot of these organizations are run like small offices uh, and they have intake and they have, you know, the people that are doing the, the extorting. They have people that are collecting money. They have accountants. They have people that are tracking every dollar that comes in. And we've, we've seen these in some of the, the uh, footage released of, of raids in the Philippines, particularly. You, you would think they were just, you know, raiding a, an office of, of any, you know, debt collections or something like that. But uh, you know, they're tracking everything. And uh, I have seen cases where someone starting the communication, getting the information, getting the photos or the video, and then handing it off to someone who can be a little bit more threatening, someone who's been doing it a little bit longer, someone who can mm -hmm. get more money out of the situation. So uh, when when they are in the groups, it, it is a lot more uh, of a sticky situation for the victim to be in because there, there's not just one person coming after them. There's, there's an entire organization sometimes. Now, I know um, after the first podcast, we were talking with Wayne offline, you know, for a little bit, and we had talked about um, the actual criminal organizations themselves. You talked about raids in the Philippines, mm -hmm. but there is a level of sophistication in different parts of the world. Who would you put in your top, you know, three, for example, of uh, sextortionists? By far and away, uh, the, the, the scammers in Nigeria, particularly the Lagos region of Nigeria, are far and away the, the, the most advanced in, in this particular crime in sextortion and uh, re really any sort of crime similar to sextortion like romance scams and things like that. 
they are far and away the the best at it, and they seem to have the most time to do it and the most resources and most people available to do it. Whereas in the Philippines or in other places like Ivory Coast, it's more of a a desperation job. Mm-hmm. In Nigeria, it is almost a career for, for many people. That's interesting you say that because when you talked about offices being raided mm-hmm. in the organization, so you're seeing that in Nigeria. Now, again, I'm making an assumption here. The relationship with law enforcement, from my own personal experience, seems to be a good relationship with the Philippines. From your experience in doing these investigations, do we have a good relationship, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, other countries around the world? Are, are we getting results after you guys collect the evidence? Are, are we getting prosecutions? And I know we talked about that in part one, but what is our success rate in our relationships with those other countries? Uh, it is lacking, to say the least. Um, they do. Um, the, the, the powers that be that are there are aware of these, you know, these crimes happening, and they're they're aware of the reputation that they have in regards to these kinds of crimes, uh, particularly in Lagos. And there are entities uh, within the government and within law enforcement that are fairly new and are, are working very hard to prevent these sorts of crimes. And and they are doing their own raids in Lagos and things like that, but. It's not seeing any results back home here. Uh, the victims of, of these crimes aren't seeing any of those results. Uh, the, the government is just taking it upon themselves there to stop this from happening, mostly, I think, because they, they are tired of the reputation that they're seeing uh, uh, with these sort of things. Right. Now, I'm going to go back to what we said we were going to bring up later about sure. the parental involvement yeah. in this with uh, the kids. I know we have talked to a few community organizations here in Lorain County about increasing awareness, and we, we plan on doing that. And um, I know the next phase of this podcast, we're going to have adolescent psychologists on talking about this uh, topic as well. But in regards to, and I know in part one, we talked about the uh, law that was uh, being proposed by the governor's office in regards to anybody under the age of 16 mm-hmm. having to have parental consent to be able to get online. Do you think from your experience that that is going to improve, or I should say lessen, the sextortion cases that are available, or do we still have an issue with parents getting involved with their kids? I would like to say that I think that that would lessen it. Um, however, it, it's hard to say. Uh, th- this, is, this crime is, is growing so astronomically, uh, and they have shifted over the last few years from targeting adults and college kids to targeting high schoolers for the main reason that they can make that quick 50 bucks or 100 bucks every single day, 20, 30, 40 times a day, no repercussions whatsoever because the kids are less likely to come after them. And the smaller amounts not attracting anybody's attention. Exactly. You can limit, you know, a 16-year-old's screen time all day, but at the end of the day, if if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's still going to happen. And that is one thing that, uh, you know, being 16 in, in the world we live in today, it's going to be very difficult to navigate that sort of thing, keeping them offline, um, I think. And in the local news, too, I mean, we've had this tragedy hit yeah. us in Northeast Ohio. We've had uh, several individuals, even out of a single high school, mm-hmm. you know, that have been targeted. And now, unfortunately, we are looking at an increase in adolescent suicide and adolescent suicide rates because of this. How is that 
affecting with what you guys do. And then when when you look at this, you're, you're here doing this for social outreach for Digital Forensics today. Correct. What would you like to see as an investigator about parental involvement and being able to talk about this issue further between kids and parents and, and making it more of a community awareness as our campaign is trying to do? When sextortion first came about, uh, when, it, when it really first started picking up speed, it was, like I said before, targeting adults. We noticed a tick in, in the trend uh, targeting high schoolers a few years ago. I took it upon myself at that point in time to say someone needs to talk to these kids, which it should be their parents. However, someone first needs to talk to their parents. Right. Someone needs to let them know what's going on. And so I thought the best thing that I could do, that our company could do, is to create an outreach so that parents can get the information that they need. They can learn what's happening. They can they can see the sad stories that you know are happening out there, and, and hopefully that can motivate them to have that difficult conversation with their teenager. Because uh, it's not an easy conversation to have, especially if if you're not sure it's even happening. You don't want to bring it up. You don't want to give them you know the idea that this is something they could do. But it need, it needs to be done. And, and my main goal here for all of this is just encouraging parents to have that conversation with their kids and let them know that these things are happening. And no matter how safe you think you're being online, it's, you're still in a very dangerous place. Well, Ken, I really appreciate that. I share that sentiment with you. And um, I think we will be moving forward together here in the very near future about bringing this live. I hope so. Uh, to a panel discussion uh, here in Lorraine County to be able to do that. So uh, Ken Coughlin and Digital Forensics, I thank you so much for coming on to uh, these two programs that we've had. And uh, I appreciate you and I appreciate everything that your company is doing in order to help eliminate this heinous crime of sextortion. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please direct all correspondence to Podcast at yahoo.com. And always remember, the easy path is not always the right one. I am the Cannon and Tall the One. Take care.